Today on Podcast by the Bay, an exclusive interview with Foster City Mayor Sam Hindy. We have been proactive because I believe this community has always believed, prior council members and prior administrations, that this community will thrive by its diversity. We are enriched by our diversity, right? And that's why we did what we did. Discussing housing, transportation, and his vision for Foster City and the future to come. We talk about why we choose Foster City, why we live in Foster City. It's the quality of life, right? And the quality of life for each one of us is maybe a little bit different, but I think we could all agree is one of those uh, items of the quality of life is our first responders. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And now, another Podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of the show. We thank you for joining us today. We thank you for downloading the show. And we thank you for reaching out to your friends and letting them know about the show as well. We've gotten a lot of great feedback, and we definitely appreciate it. And so today, Patrick, we're going to get back to our Mayor on the Peninsula series. And we actually have an exclusive interview with our home mayor, the one that we, in our town that we call home, and that's Foster City. And we have Mayor Sam Hindy, and we are excited to actually present Mayor Sam Hindy. Now, the cool thing about this, Patrick, is that you ran for city council as well, and so you were right there with Sam. So you could have been what you could have been right there with Sam. Well, I appreciate that compliment, but let's talk about Sam because I think the listeners want to hear about Sam. And Foster City was one of the very first planned cities in uh, the United States, and it was in the nineteen early nineteen sixties. Uh, Jack T. Foster and his sons developed it. It was Derry and Bayfield. It was one of the very first towns that didn't incorporate in their CCNRs. They were they were sell to people of color. Um, <clears throat> matter of fact, in one of the last council meetings, we honored one uh, such um, Afro-American man that probably had lived in Foster City some 60 years. So Foster City is an exciting town. A lot of people were talking about earthquakes, liquid fashion, and when some of the earthquakes that we've had, and um, whether whether it was the 89 earthquake or a couple of the ones in 90, Foster City survived. The levees have maintained themselves, even though now currently the levees are at a risk right now, then we need to develop it. Um, <clears throat> I had the honor to run with Sam Hindy, and that was also with Herb Perez and Catherine. It was one of the most exciting races. 
I enjoyed the opportunity to run for public service. As you know, I'm still passionate about the issues in Foster City, whether it has to do with the uh, park and rec or whether it has to do with the levy or whether it has to do with the town center or whether it has to worrying about what are we going to do with our retirement in the future for the, for the people that work in Foster City. I've had the opportunity to work with the current city manager, Kevin Miller, on the park and rec for 10 years. I also was honored to be on the Chamber of Commerce. So I'm passionate about Foster City, but most of all, I'm passionate about my interview with Sam Hindi, who, <clears throat> who was Lebanese, who came to this country some 20, almost 30 years ago, built himself a small business out of his apartment that he worked, to owning a Arco, Arco AMPM in Foster City, which is a very successful business. Sam is also a delegate for the Kevin Mullins, Jerry Hill, as well as myself for the, <clears throat> for the Assembly District. I'm proud to be also working with him in that capacity. Sam and I had a frank, <clears throat> frank discussion in the mayor's office um, at City Hall. We talked <clears throat> about a range of things from transportation um, to the park and rec to uh, housing. We talked a variety of things. Most of all, we didn't talk about the levy because right now the levy, they I did not want to talk with him at the city hall because they shouldn't be talking there at city hall, but they can talk independently from city council. <clears throat> and as you know well, Sam Hindi supports the levy. We'll have an exclusive with him off the, the, uh, the uh, grounds of city hall. I hope everybody enjoys it. He's a chamber member of Foster City Chamber. Uh, he's a giver. He's a fighter. And he's going to take back and make sure that Foster City succeeds. So <clears throat> without further ado, do you have any further questions that you may ask me? Yeah. So I just want to say to all the listeners, I think that this is going to be a nice show for everyone because a lot of our early shows were about some of the Foster City happenings, the issues, the debates, talking about the levy with Kevin Miller and Jeff Mineta, right? Talking about Sam Runco's property, talking to Bob Cushman, right? Talking to Herb Perez. So we really have a lot of, you know, kind of our home is, you know, our home base is kind of in Foster City. I think that's why this one's so exciting. And now, Andre, now, Andre, don't want, we don't want to forget that other one we did an uh, interview on, and that's the Cirrus Regis Project. And the Cirrus Regis Project is right near Penelope's. And Penelope's is where Sam, Herb, and myself had a kickoff party. We thank the people of Penelope's. They're hardworking. And the issue on Penelope's is the issue where, where they're talking about changing the zoning from the um, commercial commercial retail to doing it to doing it as housing and the the buzzword around they haven't finished it is workforce housing i talked to sam about workforce housing <clears throat> we also talk about the san mateo foster silly city elementary school district the charter square so i think we've got a lot of content here i'm looking forward to the listeners feedback well, well, Patrick, you've been at most of the council meetings, almost like 95% of them. So you're kind of like, you're right there with the city council. I've, and I'm with you interviewing all these mayors and doing the Mayor on the Peninsula series and really being a part of it, you're kind of right there as far as, you know, being right on point with the issues and really understanding what's happening. And, and I think you can really represent the, you know, what the people are talking about and, and really uh, articulate the discussions and, and the issues for everyone. So we definitely appreciate that. So with that, if you guys have any feedback, if you have any questions, please reach out to us, podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay. We're on Twitter, Instagram, 
uh, you know, Podbean. So definitely look for us and check us out. We're going to go ahead and get to the Sam Hindi interview. So with that, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. It's April 6th, uh, 2018. We have the honor to interview Sam Hindi. Sam Hindi is the mayor of Foster City. Uh, population of Foster City is about 33,000 people. It was, uh, it was built by Jack T. Foster. Um, welcome, Sam, to Podcast by the Bay. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Patrick. Welcome to City Hall. It's great to see you here. I know you and I talked about this interview for quite a while. I'm honored to be sitting with well, you. Well, I'm honored to finally get Sam um, on Podcast by the Bay. He's, um, currently, he's the mayor of Foster City. This is your second year on the council. Is that correct? Yeah, this will be the third year, actually. Okay. Right. For the viewers out there in podcast land, no one really knows your background. So kind of give us a little background, where you're from, and what, 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 what uh, maybe if you want to tell us about your education or you want to tell us about your career, or whatever you want to tell the, the people out there that they should know about Sam Hindi. Sure. So I immigrated in 1983 to the United States from Lebanon. I came here to pursue my education. And I, my uh, educational background is business administration. I studied in Southern, I studied in Southern California, in uh, Long Beach State, and uh, moved up to the Bay Area in 1992 to expand my business. At that time, I had a courier service that we started uh, out of our one-bedroom apartment in Southern California, me and my brothers. And uh, I came here to the Bay Area to expand that business at the time. Excellent, excellent. So you've lived in the, how long have you lived in the Bay Area up here? Since 92. 92, okay, yeah. that's great. Um, t- uh, how did you get into uh, public service or politics here in Foster City? Yeah, I really never aspired to politics. It's, uh, it all started by want to give back to the community on a volunteer basis, uh, I started volunteering with CERT, got my training with CERT, the Community Emergency Response Team, and I thought that was a great program, uh, not only to give back to the city, but also to be prepared in case, of, in case of an emergency. As we know, we live in earthquake country, and being prepared for emergencies, major emergencies, is to me top priority on a personal level, and now that I'm in a public service, on that sector as well. Why don't you tell the viewers what CERT is? Some people, I'm, I'm a CERT myself, but maybe some of the people out there don't know what CERT is. Sure. So CERT is a community emergency response team. It's a program that is run by our fire department where a resident or uh, could get training on preparing themselves and their families, primarily preparing themselves and their families on how to handle a major disaster that will hit the community. Because believe it or not, when that disaster happens, we do not and will not have enough first respondents. So our community, our residents, certain neighborhood might end up being on their own in the initial stages to take care of themselves, their neighbors, and their families. So it's an extensive program. If I'm not mistaken, I don't want to be misquoted. If I'm not mistaken, it got about 10 sessions of uh, class training. You could correct me if I... No, no, I think is, you're is it right about on 10? It. Yeah, yeah. About, about 10. About 10 classes, about a couple 10, weekends. Yeah, yeah, about 10 classes, and then it culminates with hands-on experience with the uh, drill day when 
all those classes and all those skills that we learned in the classroom will be applied on the field. Sam, why don't you talk, I'll brag a little bit about your business that you have here in Foster City because I think a lot of people might not even know that they're going to your uh, gas station, your AMPM. Why don't you talk a little bit about it? So, uh, you know, the gas station, I in 2013, I purchased the Arco gas station and the AMPM. So basically we have three businesses in that location, really. We have the gas station and also we have the AMPM convenience store. And most importantly, what most people don't know is we have an auto serv- full auto service repair. Okay. In yeah. the back, uh, which we handle everything A to Z. Okay, I, I'm not aware of it. I know it, in the past we've we've had um, and it, it kind of dovetails into uh, your um, your AMPM, your Arco station. Uh, what's happening with the standard? Are they going to be still trying to reach out to do auto mechanics and stuff, or or they've kind of backed off that? Or what, what, what's happening with that? I haven't heard anything in a while, so. I, Thought I'd re-explore that. A specific to our station or the yeah, industry? Yeah, well, I'm talking about the, the Chevron station. The Chevron. I, yeah. So I know in the past, Chevron had wanted to change their service base to a convenience store. And there is a city ordinance that prohibit that if it's done at the expense of eliminating the auto service. And that, so we have an auto automotive uh, district that was established by previous councils. And the idea was uh, the city was losing its auto service repair centers. Uh, we had more before in the past, my understanding, and back in the 80s. And the city council at the time was concerned that the city will end up losing all the city service centers and residents and employees who are here during the day and need to get their cars repaired and service. They would have to get out of town to get that done, and that why that automotive district was established to ensure whatever is left, which is currently really now it's only uh, the Valero and us Mm -hmm. who have an auto service center, the uh, Foster City car wash is considered as such also because they have the car wash. So Chevron used to have an operating service bay and they wanted to convert it and they haven't to overcome the obstacle of what's I know they the keep owners. coming they keep coming yeah. back well that, that's kind of helpful uh, for for some of us out there in the live in Foster City I'm going to uh, draw you back a couple years and I know you'll you'll remember it. one of the things that's happening on the peninsula is the shortage of housing um, back a couple of years back the Edgewater Shopping Center um, uh, I, I would say maybe two maybe three years I could be wrong uh, the owners of the Edgewater Shopping Center uh, or came with a developer and they were thinking about developing it. And, and at that time, I think it was one of the many times or few times that City Hall had people just going out. Um, what was your opinion at that time when you, when, you, when you saw the presentation and what they were doing with the Edgewater Shopping Center? Because that kind of dovetails into a lot of things with the Edgewater Shopping Center. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of leave it open for you to yeah. talk about it. I mean, you know, there's no question about it. The Bay Area has a housing crisis. Housing crisis and the traffic congestion that we are dealing with are interrelated. Some people don't want to believe that, but it is. Fact, fact of the matter is the imbalance between the creation of jobs and housing over the past 10 years has created the crisis we are in today. For San Mateo County, since uh, 2000 to 2008, created over 70 or 80,000 jobs. In the same period of time, we only constructed 5,000 units of housing. So people who are coming into work here 
However, they don't live here. So that's what happens. They have to commute. Why do they have to commute on the freeways? Because we do not have an efficient public transit system that moves people from where they live to their places of work. Do I believe we can build enough on the peninsula or on this side of the bay to accommodate all the employees? I don't think so. I don't think there is room to build. There will always be more people coming from the East Bay to work here, more than what we have housing for them. So for me, the key is really come with a solution to move people in a mass transit system from the East Bay to this these job centers on this side of the bay. Well, I think when you uh, you ran, and I'm familiar because I also ran at the same time, I, th I think that the message that we were getting from the people, and I, I, you brought a couple good points, and we're going to talk about them later. Um, the major point was is the community was saying we didn't want, the people that live in Foster City, we didn't want any more density housing or more housing out there. Obviously, Foster City is very unique. I've interviewed quite a few different mayors. Foster City has a requirement of 15% affordable housing. 20. Or 20%. Yeah. And uh, that's phenomenal because most of the cities, um, Redwood City uh, being one and San Mateo, they go by project by project. Yeah. So it's a little bit different. Uh, so I think Foster City should be proud of that. Um, with, your, with, with, with talking about the housing, you brought up a couple of issues here. Uh, you were talking about congestion uh, do you, and you talked about transportation. Um, do you think uh, that, that some of the environmental impact reports that all cities, not just Foster City, um, are approving or not taking really into consideration the traffic problems or the environmental? Because one of the things on the environmental impact reports is the study of police and fire. You just brought up a, a good point. Um, and, and that we have cert because we're not sure most of the police and fire will be here if there's a catastrophe, which is a great idea. Yeah. So maybe why don't you kind of address what you think as far as, like I said, you ran on, we don't want to see any more housing. Um, so are, do you still think that's the sentiment in Foster City? Well, so let me go back to your original question on the Edgewater development. Okay proposal. So having said that we are in housing crisis, I don't believe Foster City has, let me put it this way, I believe Foster City for the most part is built out. Whatever we do, I don't want anything that will change the character of Foster City. So on the sudden end of Foster City where Edgewater Plaza is when that developer came in with his project. That proposal would have changed the character of that whole area. Having, getting rid of the shopping center, depriving the community of the boardwalk and access to the water, having condominiums on the waterfront, that is changing the character of that area. So that's not something that I would support personally. But then you have the issue of, you were talking about your question now, the EIRs. So the EIRs are supposed to identify 
the impact of whatever construction or development happens on many things, whether it be transportation, being traffic, being the infrastructure, being the emergency responders, and all that kind of stuff, at schools, and so forth. So when I ran, I didn't run, to correct you, I didn't run on the platform no more housing. That is not correct. What I, what I ran on was I don't want to approve any more housing until we understand the actual impact of the development that were in the pipeline at that time. That is what I ran on, and I still believe that. With that being said, if you look around those projects that were in the pipeline, for the most part, most of them have been constructed, and most of them have been uh, already occupied. For example, the 100 grand behind the Chevron gas station, that is fully, fully occupied. And if I remember correctly, that project, I mean, whether we like the architect and the aesthetic of that building, because I don't like it necessarily. However, that was not the issue. The issue was most people talking about the traffic is going to generate, the mess that it's going to generate on Hillsdale and Foster City Boulevard and the morning rush commute and the, in the afternoon commute hours as well. That did not materialize. I mean, if you, I don't have the actual count, but I'm sure staff will be able to provide us that when the time comes. But from a casual observer, I don't see an impact that has negatively impacted commuters going in and out of the city at that intersection based on or as a result of that construction. That Liv really yeah, happened. living in Foster City, I, I, I've observed the same thing. I wanted to get back into, uh, I, I think you did a real good job for the listeners talking about the environmental impact report, but one thing that we're, we're not looking at quite closely uh, because of the high cost to live in Foster, it's been 20 plus years, we have more density with more people living in a one-bedroom apartment or a two-bedroom apartment, which compromises the safety. Um, the ratios that the environmental impact report still uses is outdated. The numbers of people that they're telling are living in a one-bedroom or a two-bedroom, those things have not been updated. So where maybe 40 years ago there was a, you know, maybe three people living in a one-bedroom, there may be six and eight. And I know you've experienced that, too, because you've knocked on doors. You you yeah. had to knock on, I think we, we walked the same blocks. Yeah. I think I, I bumped into you half the time and you bumped into right. me. So right. so we do have that. I think um, the housing has been very well planned out here in Foster City. And I'm, I'm, I'm as a homeowner and also interviewing with podcasts, I, I'm pleased with that. But I am not pleased with not just Foster City, but the peninsula. So um, the message seems to be getting out with some of the mayors uh, that obviously housing is an issue, transportation is an issue. So I think that we, we need, don't you think we need to change that ratio on how many people live here? I mean, currently we, we're, we're saying the population of Foster City is about 33,000. I think that's more like 35 to 37,000 which when I look at it 20 years ago, it was 28,000, maybe yeah. 27. So, um, again, we're all suffering that on the peninsula. It's not just Foster City. Right. Now, I'm not sure about the numbers you mentioned because obviously those numbers have to come from the Census Correct. Bureau at, to, to be accurate numbers. We all have our own ideas of what those numbers are. But you're right to a certain extent. I know, again, because of the housing crisis, you have more people in order to afford living in this area, if you are on a limited income, 
if you are working in the service sector, if you're working at cashier or you're working as a server in a restaurant, if you're working at a, a clerk in an office, there's no way you can afford living in this area unless you are roommating more than what your typical roommate ratio will be. Absolutely. That's yeah. just because of the yeah. expense. I mean, it's insane. I look at the rents and forget about the home prices. We all know how, how skyrocket those are. But even look at the rent prices. One bedroom in Foster City in the newly constructed uh, buildings cost $3,500. Mm-hmm. That is insane. Who can afford that? And not only so, to your point on density, I think what you're probably noticing and I think what when the next uh, census uh, numbers come out probably will have more just because of the change of demographics in the city. So what you're having is uh, empty nesters leaving, selling their house to downsize, leaving whether they relocate in the city or even go, go move out of Foster City, and who's coming to replace them? And most times, younger families that come in, a younger couple with couple kids. So here you have two, a household of two leaving, and then you have a household of four coming in, even though you have not constructed one unit. I see. Yeah, that's a, so, that's, so, a, that's, a, that's a very so, good point. So that might be a factor on population increase in addition to, you know, what we have, I think what we have constructed since 2010, when they started the Pilgrim Triton mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Foster Square, it's about 1,200 units altogether. Well, what you might talk about to the listeners, I, I you know, you and I are probably, because we're more astute what's happening in Foster City, talk a little bit about what has happened in, in the course of, of myself living here. Um, I, I remember when the uh, it was kind of controversial uh, that the fire departments would merge, and that if you were on that side of the fence, no one liked you, because Foster City's been always a they called pretty independent or an island, and now we currently have a joint powers with uh, Belmont and San Mateo. Okay, and how's that working so that the listeners understand? Um, what what we've done or what Foster City's done yeah. to protect them. Actually, it's been working great, quite frankly, because now we have more resources for Foster City. And a lot of those shared resources were available, but they are now in a joint power agreement to where we are on paper as a joint powers for, between those three cities to share the services that we have. And it makes life easier, the, the short, uh, shared power agreement is... Uh, uh, joint power agreement is we have our the firefighters the employees kind of on the same page as far as uh, getting the same similar salaries and benefits and compensation packages and so forth but you know here on the peninsula and throughout San Mateo County we do get the help each city and each uh, municipality help each other when in case of an emergency so no matter how big a city, neighboring city is, or how small it is, when you have a disaster, when you have an emergency, you're going to get the help from your neighboring city. So well, why, why not we, organize it? Right. And what? why not put it in a framework right. that would be beneficial to all? Well, and for the benefit for our city, and even for the cities who are part of that agreement, joint power agreement, is we save money. We save money on administration. So we did not cut any of the services, yet by consolidating, we saved money to the taxpayers and to the cities from the administration. You know, I think that's a real good move. Why don't we talk a little bit, just to give a little plug for the police department. We had a 
um, a catastrophe, a shooting in, in YouTube, and uh, Foster City's uh, PD was there too. So I think you, you illustrate a good point. It's not just the fire department, but the police departments unite behind it too. And I, I think our hats are off to all of the Foster City and San Bruno and all the police departments that were Johnny on the spot down there at, at that too. So Absolutely. as a mayor, you've got to be real proud that... Yeah. They, that they took action too. We're absolutely proud of all our emergency services, police and fire. As you know, whenever the call comes in, we always at the front line helping and assisting, whether it's fires in Southern California, whether it's fires even out of state, sometimes we go out and help. And same thing for the police. And this is, you know, we talk to me, I talk here about Foster City as a community. And we also... I look at San Mateo County as a community. I look at the state as a community. I look, and then you could take it to a bigger scale. We all end this together, whether we're here at the local level, whether we are on the county level. So whoever is in need and we're able to help, we should do that. And uh, especially when it comes to, you know, first responders and emergency services, police and fire. We are so proud of our police and fire departments here. They really do a phenomenal job. And, you know, we talk about why we choose Foster City, why we live in Foster City. It's the quality of life, right? And the quality of life for each one of us is maybe a little bit different, but I think we could all agree is one of those uh, items of the quality of life is our first responders. So anytime you have an emergency, any one of us, you pick up the phone, you dial 911, you have somebody responding at your door three minutes or thereabout coming in to help you, whether it's uh, the fire department, whether it's the police. So they do a fantastic job every day at, at every call. Okay, um, let's go a little bit a different direction but, um, and, and talk about housing in, in another capacity. We currently, uh, I, I think it's at the community development stages, the Cirrus Regis project, um, and we were honored to have a kickoff there, there for election where uh, Penelope's and all that other type of stuff. Um, a couple of the buzzwords that came out um, during that time, and I've actually uh, engaged other mayors in the discussion, is a thing called workforce housing. So the listeners that can understand to begin with, the Sarah's Region Project hasn't quite been rezoned. Is that correct? It's not rezoned. That is correct. And okay. that's, that's a misconception in the community that the city council has approved or wants to approve or want to partner with the developer, wants to give uh, city money, taxpayers' money to the developer. Obviously, this is all misinformation. The city council has not made a decision, has not approved any new housing, period. What has happened is Sarah Regis, who has a parcel in Pilgrim Triton, which is entitled for commercial office buildings, and 16 townhomes, those things are, they are entitled to today. They could tomorrow submit their design and they could start the process, the approval process and construction. They don't need city council approval. They're already entitled to that. What Sarah Sigis did is they want to change that entitlement to housing. They want to get rid of the commercial aspect of it and add to the 16 already entitled units, add another 60 units or so into that instead, instead of the commercial office. So Sarasvi just came to the city 
basically, and what happened is the city and Service just had a business term agreement. It, probably that's where the misconception people thought the business term agreement is an approval, or some people who know better, they interpret it as a precursor to approval of that project. So, what are, you know, for the listeners, I think what you're clarifying is, is it, it was an exploratory um, engagement of, of business because it would still need to go through the channels of the Planning Commission and be approved by City Council. Absolutely. Okay. So they have been, they've been going, I think they went to the Planning Commission twice, if I'm not mistaken, or at least once, and it will be coming back to the City Council. At that time, the City Council will have to deliberate and have a discussion and decide, do we want to move forward, do we not want to move forward? It really depends. For me personally, it, it's all about the EIR. To me, that's what it's... Well, I think that's a good point, and that kind of facilitates a point that I brought up earlier. Um, I haven't seen the reports on either direction, but the environmental impact report, I would suspect once you put the housing in, that that would be greater than the commercial. But, again, I haven't seen the reports because, obviously, the average person, unless... Um, as you know, if, unless you put some deed restrictions that you had to have share rides or stuff like that, when speaking with the um, uh, Rick Bonilla, uh, the city of San Mateo, uh, as you know, the Bay Meadow Project did that on parts of the phase. So maybe that's something Foster City, if if it is so approved, uh, yeah. we could look at it closer. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to ask you your, which way you're going to go on it because that's a personal decision right now and you guys are, are still considering it as a council. And I can't tell you because yeah. I don't know. Okay. Not that I don't want to tell you. Okay. I don't have a decision simply because I don't have the facts in front of me. Okay. So how could I make a decision on something that Good. I don't know the facts? Well, that's great. So I need to get the facts. I need to get the data. I need to analyze it. I need to do my own due diligence. But like from a casual, uh, non-scientific way, I think if I look at strictly on traffic and circulation and mobility, if I have an office building that most likely will generate, the original estimate from the developer I think was 1,200 employees Mm -hmm. coming in. So let's say less than that. Let's say even 1,000 employees. Let's say 800 employees. So, and obviously not everybody going to use a car to come in. So let's say even 600 cars coming in and out of the city. This is not even including cars that are going to come have business transaction with those offices or with that building. Compared to if you have a 70 or 80 unit of housing that most likely is going to generate tops of two cars per unit. That's going to generate 140 compared to the 500. The 500 is an extremely conservative number because if you have 1,200 employees at full capacity. So just looking at that will indicate a lot traffic impact. But I don't know. I will reserve the judgment until I see the scientific data about Okay, that. let's go back to the buzzword. I, I've kind of interviewed different mayors on it and it's kind of open in the air, and the, the word, yeah, it's not affordable housing, it's called workforce housing. Can you kind of clarify, as the council really grabbed a hold of, what is workforce housing? I know some of the buzzwords, and I, I think I've heard you, uh, uh, first responders, uh, teachers, so 
are we still we're still kind of grappling with that word so we, this will be coming well actually I know what for me what it is I, I don't know what the council eventually is going to be deciding but I know for me what it is I would like to see workforce housing for my first responsible essential service employees I want those uh, people who provide us with the first uh, respondent services to be in the city when an emergency hits. I don't want them to be in Livermore. I don't want them to be in Sacramento. I don't want them to be... So you want them to be certs is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, so I want them to be certs, of course. All right, or captains in cert too. Right? That's so, you know, you want to have available emergency services as much as you can. So that's, to me, what... And, of course, then you have teachers. But as you know, the city council really does not... is not the uh, authority or is not the jurisdiction for the school district. There's a school district that deals with that. Uh, but I believe teachers should be given workforce housing in the areas that they work. So... Mateo Foster City School District should be able or should explore providing housing for their teachers in this region. Because again, it's not sustainable to expect teachers to spend an hour and a half commuting one way. Even, even though they do not provide emergency services, they do provide as important of services to the community by raising the next generation and dedicating their lives to these communities, right? Because none of our teachers really uh, do this to make money. Yes, they need the money to pay the bills, but they choose these those careers because they believe in education and they believe in raising that next generation. So the least we could do for them as a community, even though I'm not talking about as a city, as a community, we need to make sure we are we afford them the ability to live close to where they work so they don't have to waste an hour and a half commuting each way from their homes to their uh, to their job. Well, to some of our, our, our listeners out there, and I know Sam is aware of that too, that you have in uh, College of San Mateo, uh, Kenyatta College, um, and a few other ones exploring campus housing for teachers, and, and it has been successful. So do you think we have any opportunity with any maybe uh, out here in, in Foster City to do some kind of campus housing? So this is, uh, you're talking about for teachers? For teachers, yeah. So I don't know about, I mean, this has, if anything will come out of this, it has to be collaboration between the city and the school district. The city will not be able to build for the teachers on its own. We might be able to assist if there is something that the school, again, because the school district is the one who handled this. It's not us that we will build for teachers. However, if we haven't, which I don't see, if we have, if we're building a major workforce housing project that would accommodate our needs and the school district needs, then of course we could do it. But I don't see that happening. Yeah, I don't see it happening in Foster City either. Obviously, the unique thing in San Bruno um, is they've closed a couple schools. Right. Okay, and then in Redwood City, they closed a school too. Right. Uh, And those schools, they're exploring the uh, option of uh, teacher housing, which I think is great. Right, it is great. It is great indeed, but, you know, those... Pro, those kind of pro, scales of projects will not happen in Foster City. I could, yeah, I'm, I could I'm pretty sure you're right I could almost guarantee you yeah, that. Yeah, we, we, we need more schools, huh? Yeah, or, or we, we need more schools. Okay, let's go back into uh, something which uh, we're, we were talking earlier, and, and that's transportation. Um, 
we have the honor of, of having Seamus Murphy come to speak with us with the uh, city of San Mateo. We had a joint thing on transportation. You were there. I was there. Um, and I thought Seamus was an extraordinary uh, person to interview. He almost was as difficult to get a hold of as Sam, uh-huh. uh, my mayor. But um, And Seamus uh, had a long discussion. So I'm going to encourage you to listen to Seamus Murphy. <clears throat> but I, I wanted to um, uh, reach out and let you know that I did talk to Rick Bonilla, and, and one of my passions is transportation. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I'd like to see, as well as since I knocked on doors and you knocked on doors, I got a lot of people that work for Apple or, or Oracle or they work for, for places down in Santa Clara, but their main complaint was is they couldn't get to the train as quick uh, in order to to take the train because of the traffic. So um, I encouraged Rick uh, to work with you as the mayor of Foster City um, to looking for a commuter lane. Um, only a certain hours uh, that could be. Um, if we look at what the proposed project off 92 and 280, uh, which is more lanes, uh, more commuter lanes, we still need to have some kind of plan that that happens. Uh, Let me tell you uh, where my thoughts on this, Patrick. So when I moved to Foster City in 92, in 1992, because we're going to talk about Highway 92. <laughs> uh, Highway 92 was a half the size what it is today, if you remember, before the expansion of the 92 freeway. And at that time, I used to work in the East Bay. I had an office in San Leandro. And I remember in 1992, I used to be able to leave Foster City at probably about a little bit before 4 p.m. And I would get to San Leandro in no more than 40 minutes. Wow. And this was the old bridge, which, as you know, had no emergency lane. In case there was an accident, it would Mm. take a long time to clear it. And many times, not many times, in certain occasions, it used to be full closure until they removed the accident. So we had half the size of the bridge and the freeway and the traffic leaving at 4, I would still make it to my office in half an hour to 45 minutes. No problems. Forward back to 2000, for, uh, forward to 2018, we have the San Mateo Bridge twice the size plus emergency lanes, and now capacity is more than full. One thirty, two o'clock, the traffic starts on the San Mateo Bridge going eastbound, and in the morning it's vice versa, obviously. So there's so many cars. And we talk, I go back to what I spoke about earlier, the imbalance of job creation to the housing. And I also want to emphasize, no matter what you, we do, we will never be able to build enough for all the jobs we are creating on this side of the bay. And if, if experience tells us anything, when that San Mateo Bridge was expanded, here we are, now it's not, it's not sufficient anymore. So what's the lesson? The lesson is we can never pave our way out of this mess. We really cannot. You could add a commuter lane, you could add uh, more lanes, it's not going to help in the long term. It might help in the short term, 
But I think you illustrate a good point. And the studies are that, um, and Seamus even touted, is we haven't been able to get the single driver out of the car. Um, what we have improved, I know with talking with one of the visa executives in Foster City, a visa, Gilead's, they're doing a lot on the commuter buses right. for their, their employees. It, it, it actually could be a much worse traffic condition than it is. So I think there's some good partnerships. But what I want to kind of dovetail around to... Let, me, I, ju- let me just, okay. if you don't mind, let me just finish that because I want to propose something as a solution. I don't know if it is feasible. I'm not the engineer and I'm not the expert, but it's an idea. So just imagine, because again, to solve the traffic congestion, it's not going to be a silver bullet solution. It really has to be a combination of many measures. One of them is to start encouraging people to leave their single occupancy vehicle. However, in reality, to be realistic, I cannot expect Patrick to not commute in his car, right, and take public transit if I do not provide them or there's no available efficient public transit for Patrick to take from point A to point B in about the same time or less than what it takes him to drive his car solo by himself. So we have a problem here in the Bay Area. We do not have a public transit that connects all the cities in the Bay Area. And that's really the problem. Well, I'm glad you're going that direction because that was one of my major questions to most of the mayors. So for the audience in Foster City that are listening, we, we have to understand that we don't have a regional transit district that operates everything together. Right. One of the things that, that in the transportation they're still bragging about is the Clifford card. And yeah. We're excited about the Clifford card, but yeah. that's not the total solution to our problem. Um, one of the things that was brought out uh, with talking with Seamus and was in the newspaper that Sam Tram's ridership is down. Yeah. He was very clear in his presentation to me that the Sam Trams is really providing transportation for senior citizens, the disabled, and people that are n- not in the best economic condition. So it's a service we need in the community, but ridership is down. Um, Seamus also indicated the same thing that you you brought up, Sam, that we need to somehow connect our transportation system better than we are, because your point is well taken. Just like I said earlier, for the person that lives in Foster City, if they can't get on to the train in time, and they're on Hillsdale Boulevard at 6.30 or 7 in the morning, and it takes them 30 or 40 minutes, they're going to miss their train. And, and you know, Patrick, I mean, as far as the city council and as far as locally, we've done quite a bit, as much as we could do on a local level. And we continue to explore now uh, regional cooperation and collaboration. So we are working on what is called the 92 Corridor Alliance, which is an alliance that will have private-public-private partnership between businesses, uh, cities, colleges on the 92 corridor is going to have uh, between us and San Mateo, San Mateo College, uh, the businesses in between Gilead, Visa, Franklin Templeton, and so much more that we are working on establishing this alliance and coming up with initiative to address issues regionally here in our area. But I think that it's a bigger picture, it's a bigger problem. 
in my opinion, until you have a mass transit system that will move people from the East Bay to this side of the bay, all you're doing is Band-Aids. Now, in Regional Measure 3, on, that's going to be on the ballot, talking about specific project that will impact Foster City positively, hopefully, the nine, reconfiguring uh, the 92-101 junction that will relieve some of the stress we're having on that. That is all nice and good, but that, in my opinion, that is not the solution. The solution is, again, move people. How do you move them from the East Bay to here in a mass transit system that is efficient? So what I ideally, I talked to you about an idea that I don't know if it's feasible, but I would like to have that explored. Have a light rail train from Hayward to San Mateo. So people who are sitting on that bridge every day, taking it in the morning and back in the afternoon going the other way, will have an alternative mode of transportation that is a mass transit system that will move them while people stuck on the traffic on the bridge, here comes the railroad passing by, get people within half an hour from Hayward to San Mateo and vice versa. Well, I'm glad that you're thinking that way. One of the things we kind of brainstormed, and, and actually Foster City, I, I found out, was looking at some kind of hovercrafts or something that would be in the bay. I, I had an opportunity to interview the mayor of Brisbane, uh, Clarkie, and he, he indicated how efficient the the um, ferry system is from South San Francisco. Of course, they have other issues in transportation where they have a unique situation that their high school students have to go to high school over the hill. Right. Uh, and that costs them a lot of money, and, and they're trying to form some partnerships. But let's kind of go back to the, the heart of the question, and I think I'm glad that you're talking that direction. We need some more regional planning. Most of the traffic that we have in the north-south direction at first pretty much are not going more than 50 miles or 20 or 30 miles. If you look at the Bayshore Freeway, if you had uh, a people mover on one side of it, that people mover or a bike lane moves quicker than the traffic that's sitting there bumper to bumper. So I think we need to look at that, but it kind of goes back to the heart of the question. El Camino was our main transportation before we even used 101, okay, or the Alameda Avenue of the Flea. So somehow I think we need to connect the transportation on El Camino, whether it's a, a light rail, monorail, or something that connects to Sam Trams, that connects to BART, so we haven't connected the transportation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was in Charlotte a few months back, and it's amazing that public transit system that they have. It's also coordinated. You don't need a car anywhere. You could take the, the tram, you could take the bus, you could take the bicycles. You, you connect it anywhere you go, and we don't have this in the Bay Area. Uh, so we well, have I a long we, way to go. I think we need a big push on that. And, yeah. and, and I, I have to say that most of the mayors all agree. Yeah. yeah they're all uh, agreeing about that. Um, I want to kind of go back. Um, even as a mayor, there's state legislation that is proposed or comes down. Uh, we have a kind of controversial bill right out there now, uh, and that's in, uh, 827, which is the Wiener Bill. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm not completely confident that our local elected officials here, we, we all agree about the housing crisis. 
Um, what's your what's your what's your take on eight twenty seven? Yeah, yeah we, we uh, I mean the whole council opposes it, and we sent a letter on behalf of the city opposing uh, eight uh, bill eight twenty seven, and we sent that to our senator Jerry Hill, and we sent that to our uh, assembly member Kevin Mullen, stating our opposition. Local control cannot something uh, uh, be taken lightly, and no, we're not interested in. Uh, surrendering our local control and as you know Foster City has been uh, doing a lot more than anybody else on this region quite frankly with our 20% affordable housing and we've done we built 1200 units like I said before from 2010 to now so we are doing our part and we are uh, we don't need anyone to tell us what to do in our local community. We understand our community, we understand our constituents, we understand what makes this community great. Yes, we do have responsibility for the region and we are fulfilling those responsibilities without anybody coming and dictating that to us. We, are, we have been proactive because I believe this community has always believed, prior council members and prior, prior administrations, that this community will thrive by its diversity. We are enriched by our diversity, right? And that's why we did what we did. For example, we did the, uh, the uh, Foster Square. What was that all about? That was about our senior residents, about senior citizens. We made sure those senior citizens who were living in Foster City and I talked about earlier about downsizing, we gave them the option of downsizing and remain in this city they in, that they enjoyed and they raised their children in and now they hopefully their children live here. So they have the choice and the option to remain within this city. We had senior affordable housing, as you know, Alma Point. You have 60 plus units that addresses that. And we have in the city, we have a very robust below market rate uh, program. Not only do we require uh, the developer to put aside 20% of each construction, but also it's managed in a way, the criteria for it is in a way to help those who live and work here, they have the top priority of getting selected for those below market rates. Well, the unfortunate thing, um, I think is first of all, the buzzwords are great. I mean, I, I think the design for the seniors or somebody over 55 is great, but the unfortunate thing is the escalation of the cost. Yeah. Um, because some of the people that I know that are seniors that have lived in Foster right. City for yeah. 20 plus, 30 plus years, right. uh, they have a hard time selling their house and then spending over a million dollars for which would be senior housing. Um, we have a market for it because the housing has been scooped up. So it's a bigger problem than I, than I think no. that we, we need to no, tackle no, no, today. I, but, but I think our listeners need to know because I think there's some passion out there. And it's not just Foster City. Right. No, I agree with you. And I, I'm not using them as buzzwords. The intention was good from the previous council. And I think when the project was approved, the uh, projection were that those units will, go, uh, will be sold for about seven to $800,000. And you are correct. They go in 1.1, 1.2. I'm not sure exactly well, what the almost number. Almost up to 1.4. Yeah, so, so obviously that's uh, a very high price. However, having said that, and I'm not defending, I'm just putting the reality what's going on in the market. Uh, my house or your house, so at the time when those when that project was being uh, was was Pencil still on the drawing yeah. board, 
your house was not valued what it is today. So it is a market-driven pricing, not that whoever developed it, and again, I'm not defending the developer. The developer will not sell something more than what the market would bear. You know that. It's in the business. So if the developer could put any price they want, but if the market does not bear it and there are no willing buyers or it's not the going rate, nobody will buy it. Okay. So they have to be competitive. And it wasn't just what was here. So if I had the house, say, for example, that was worth $100,000 in 2012 when, or whenever that project started, today I'm sure it's worth 140. Mm-hmm. You know that. You're in the real Absolutely. estate business. Yeah. So the same thing happened there. So they projected the 800, and now that the market, and you know the cost of construction, everything went up so much as well. And then there is supply and demand. That's always going to be the driving factor. So yes, you're right. I mean, it's not ideal, and I, I don't like it a bit more than, even though I'm not moving there yet, more than anybody else who's entertaining moving there. Okay, let's kind of dovetail and, and go into another issue that's facing all of the cities, but especially facing Foster City. Uh, and one of the more controversial things out here in Foster City was Charter Square. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I have been saying for probably... 20 plus years we're going to need more schools yes. um, and I know our our forefathers before you were on council they didn't see that yeah uh, and they weren't looking at the demographics that uh, right now uh, we have a proposal uh, and a fenced off charter square right um, and they're moving forward in a direction um, the unique thing for the listeners and I, I think they have to understand and I've interviewed quite a few people is the property's not in the school district right now the property is still in the ownership of of the owner, okay, uh, yes. and uh, they they they've made it a business agreement, um, and and again you have more privy of information. And I'm just kind of explaining what I understand, right? And then you can talk about it. Um, and the business agreement is they they sold it for X price, uh, and they went ahead, um, and and the school district, and and the owner is developing the property for the school district. Okay, and uh, in developing it, he, he he's in a unique situation because he, no one in Foster City probably would let him build a housing project there because it it, it wouldn't happen. But we need a school, and we, we we need that school. And even when the school, as we know, is completed, and they seem to be maybe eleven or twelve million dollars over budget, it's going to be smaller than the proposed school. And still will be inadequate for what Foster City's school district needs. So, do you do, do you think? There's two questions here. One, I, I mean, um, I, I appreciate uh, Councilman and former Mayor uh, his position that he he uh, took the school district to task on it. Um, and obviously, the city's not in a position wants to spend money on a legal thing. But the reality is it, the bid did not go out to, to uh, fair bid, usually on a project like that. The other issue, too, if the school district owned it, they didn't need to talk to Foster City. If they owned it rightly, clearly, they didn't need to talk to the, because then they're under state and federal law. So the only thing we appeared to get is, is that our planning commission would look at the school and really didn't have any choice but to say, I want to make, could you tweak this? And, and they did do a few tweaking. So what do you think? Do you think we need to move forward with this San Mateo Foster City Elementary School? We need a school. I mean, I'm, I teach 
part-time in the Sequoia School District. So I know the value of schools. Yeah. Look, at, look at it from a mayor and look at it from a yeah. businessman. Yeah. So there's no question about it. Our uh, schools are overcrowded. We do need more schools for our kids. And the school district owes us, owes our kids and owes our community a school, at least a school, if not more. Uh, however, I'm very concerned about this specific project. Having that project at more than $11 million over budget before they put a shovel on the ground is a serious problem. I think, but again, this is not something for the city to decide whether they move forward or not. As you know, the school district, as I alluded to earlier, the school district is a different jurisdiction because I know we get a lot of emails say, why don't you do this about this school? Why don't you do this about why don't we have a high school? Unfortunately, that's not state law. State law took that responsibility from the cities and city councils and gave it to school districts. So no matter what we wish or what we want as cities, we cannot do that. What we can do, however, I'm not raising my hands up in the air and saying, oh, we're helpless. No. What we could do, however, is collaborate with our school district and see where we can help to the betterment of our community. At the end of the day, both the school district and the city council work for the benefit of the community. We work for the same communities. We have the same objective, making our communities better. We do it on one side, they do it on the educational side. But we cannot make them do what they don't want to do. <laughs> well, this brings up an, a question, um, and there's been talk over the years. Is there any more talk about separating from the Foster City Elementary School District? So as you know, if that, if that needs to happen, it's not a city-initiated uh, action. It would have to be citizen-initiated action. The city will not city will not do anything like that because they don't have anything to do with it. It really has to be the citizens and residents of Foster Cities coming in and saying, you know what, this is not working for us and we want to separate. And there has been some talk, as you know, in 2015 when you and I were campaigning, a lot of people were passionate about the school. A lot of people were frustrated with the school district. They believe the school district has not fulfilled its obligation to Foster City. And it seems like Foster City has always been treated as a stepchild of the school district. And this is historical. We go back to decades. It's not something of the recent past. So that's a sentiment. Whether it's accurate or not, I'm sure there is some merit to it because people who experience it, they have something to it. Now the question is how do you resolve this? Do you resolve is separating the ultimate solution? Is it feasible? Is it possible? What are the legal implications? What my understand what what I understand is currently you need the San Mateo to vote on the separation to be approved. And San Mateo being two thirds and us one third and they reap the benefit of us having a higher return on our property tax. Good luck. <laughs> Well, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, I want to thank you for taking the opportunity to interview with us. And I want to leave with one question. What does it mean to you to be a public servant? Well, it's a great honor and privilege to be a public servant. Uh, it is my way of giving back to my community that I love. 
it's a community where I invested my life and my future in. I have my businesses, as we mentioned earlier here. I live here. I raised my kids here. My kids were born here. They were raised. They went to the schools in Foster City. And uh, I take pride in Foster City. And I, what it means to me is really an honor and a privilege. And I'm doing it because I would love to make sure that this quality of life that we all came to enjoy in Foster City is preserved and protected. Well, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, we want to thank you for being a public servant, and I want to thank you for being a friend, too. Thank Thanks, you, Sam. Patrick. Appreciate it. Thank you. hope you guys enjoyed that that was a song entitled devito's descarga and that was recorded live at the saloon in north beach down in san francisco with myself on a lead guitar we had the great coro pinchera on piano and keyboards on that also we had joel dreyfus on the bass and finally we had pepe jacobo on the drums and so one of the the interesting things when you hear music, mu- music really brings people together and you can have people from all different types of backgrounds and influences and I think the cool thing about music is it really 
brings people together in a way to collaborate and you're in the, you're in together for that moment in time. So that was recorded about 10 years ago live at the saloon in North Beach. You can still go down there and see some great shows, um all all types of great music. And uh yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. And uh, if you have any questions, you have any feedback about the show, please send us an email podcastbythebay@gmail.com and please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at podcast by the bay that's our twitter handle at podcast by the bay there you have it folks stay tuned thank you for listening to this episode of podcast by the bay podcast by the bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.Liberty-RealtyInvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.